How is your school or classroom encouraging and enhancing student curiosity and self-directed learning? This week's guest, Trevor McKenzie, shares how embracing student questions through an inquiry-based model gradually increased student curiosity, responsibility, and learning. I'm so excited to have the author of Dive Into Inquiry on the Aspire podcast. Welcome back, everyone, to Aspire, the Leadership Development Podcast, where we will be discussing the visions, inspirations, and experiences from top educational leaders. My name is Joshua Stamper, and you can connect with me on Twitter or on Instagram at Joshua double underscore Stamper. Trevor, I don't know if you know this, you were actually one of the first educational books that I purchased. Right after I heard George Kiro speak, I started my Twitter account and then saw you on social media, and we connected, and your book is phenomenal. So thank you so much for being on the podcast. Joshua, thanks so much for having me. It's a long time coming, honored to be here, and uh, thanks for bringing me on. Of course. And so with that connection, I've, I've got to learn about you and all of the different things that you're doing. So will you just share with our listeners you know, how you became a teacher and then how you got also into the inquiry consultant business? Yeah. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, I'm a full-time high school teacher um, at high school English in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. I've taught for almost 20 years. Like most teachers, I think it's been a journey. You know, it's been a journey of learning and growth and challenges and head scratching. And and uh, I started early in my career, I started working with really at-risk students. You know, kind of the first seven years of my career, I worked with really at-risk students who taught me a lot about teaching. You know, I think we, we cut our teeth in our first five years in education, but I was really, really in the deep end, if you will. You know, I'm so thankful for those years and those students that I work with. They taught me so much about how to kind of reimagine our curriculum and, and view our curriculum as being something that's malleable, something that you can kind of reshape depending on the interests and the needs of the students that you're supporting and that you're working with. And also collaboration in those first seven years, I had some amazing colleagues that were mentors that were supportive of these big questions I was asking of myself. And I bring that up because I was not always an inquiry teacher or someone who understood inquiry. I wasn't a student in an inquiry model. And I certainly didn't learn about inquiry in university. And then slowly over the years, I've developed this language that I've realized is, is part of a much larger body of work than just my own. It's it's decades old and it, you know, many, many contributors to this conversation, both in the published world, but also just in the in the practicing educational space. And so over the last kind of 15 years, I've slowly grown, you know, my voice in this conversation, if you will, I never set out to write a book. Funny story, Joshua, actually, I was speaking at a conference locally here in the province. And and after one of the sessions I was hosting, a a publisher approached me and said, Hey, you want to have a cup of coffee? Let's sit down. And I think you have a message that educators need to hear. And my first response was she was crazy. Like, what, what do I have to give? And I think that's part of teacher DNA, right? Just being really humble and and being, you know, quite not celebratory or, or of your own work. And, you know, I thought long and hard about writing a book and I'm so thankful I did because uh, it, it's really accelerated my, my, my sharing of inquiry. Now I, I split time between the classroom and, and other people's classrooms. I travel the world visiting schools and supporting schools and implementing inquiry. And it's a beautiful opportunity to continue this, this journey that I'm on to sharpen my practice for my students, but then to take that work and visit schools and support teachers. So I kind of say I'm a teacher of both students and teachers, if you will. It's fun. Yeah. I think your two books are phenomenal. Let's dive into inquiry and inquiry mindset. But for the listeners, if they don't even know what inquiry-based learning is, can you just give a quick definition just to kind of set the stage? 
Well, that's a tough one. Uh, I'll give you like the elevator pitch, but, and, and it's a tough one because some of the work I do, it lasts with schools for, you know, three years. Some of the schools hire me on to really implement this authentic work. But, you know, if we were standing in an elevator, what is inquiry? It's, it really is beginning learning with a question, framing your, your lesson design in, in a big kind of ungoogleable question, if you will. And whether that's the teacher's question or the student's questions, you know, questions are the heart of the inquiry space. And really, you know, giving students space, authentically explore those questions, you know, research, interviewing people, getting into the online realm and supporting them. And, and it's just not handing them the resources. It's just not handing them, you know, the, the textbook. It's let's really grapple with this question and get our teeth into it. And part of that is exploring students' questions and interests and, and, and curiosities. And so uh, it, it is a scaffolding between the teacher's questions and the student's questions. But definitely the inquiry classroom, the heart of it is the question. So for those who have transitioned, and maybe this is something from your own journey, or maybe as a consultant, what you've seen with other teachers, but when they make that transition into an inquiry-based learning model, what are some of the challenges? Yeah, it's great that you mentioned that. You know, my, my research, my graduate research really focused in on well, what are the barriers to implementing sustained and authentic inquiry over time? And, and there are three really important ones. And, and one of them is just coming up with a common definition of what inquiry is. And, and you and I could be talking about inquiry on a podcast for an hour, yep. but we are thinking that they are two different things. So one piece is getting all teachers and all stakeholders in a school on the same page with what this thing is that we're actually going to try to do. The second one is really supporting our teachers with resources so that they can do this good work. And that looks like many things. Obviously, that looks like, you know, access to books and access to databases, but it also looks like access to, you know, the conversation and the experts in the field. You know, my published work is part of a huge body of work. And if you are promoting inquiry in your school, you just can't expect teachers to do it off the side of their desk, right? It's something that you really have to be uh, part of your sustained growth plan. And then the third one is really active and engaged leadership, like, you know, administrators, principals, you know, we just don't say, hey, let's be an inquiry school or let's practice inquiry. You actually have to live and breathe that reality. If you're talking about student agency and empowering students, you need to be talking about teacher agency and empowering teachers. And so those three barriers are, are quite significant, but that's where, you know, work like my own, but there's this rich body of work around the world being done to remove those barriers. So teachers can do what they do best, which is really empower kids in as rich and powerful ways they possibly can. So what are some strategies that can be used in the classroom in regards to inquiry-based learning? Yeah, you know, one is, uh, it's called the provocation and, and provocations in the inquiry world are these really rich and engaging entry points into our curriculum. You know, our, our curriculum isn't something we cover, our curriculum is something we explore. Yeah. And and through that exploration of discovery, we need to invite our students into our curriculum and, and kind of draw the curtain back of our curriculum, if you will. And mm -hmm. provocations help us do so. Provocations can be really kind of enticing images, videos, GIFs, I say GIF, you say GIF, we can still be friends, right? You know, they could be uh, debatable questions. They could be field trips. You know, I love it when I see teachers begin a unit of study with a field trip rather than leave the field trip to the end of the unit of study like it's some kind of reward, right? Yeah. Like, let's get our kids out to that space to create that context, that schema, so that all those interests and curiosities and wonderments they have about that, that context 
guides us through this unit of study. So I play with provocations a lot, you know, um, on my Instagram, you know, we could share my social uh, throughout or maybe at the end, we could throw it in the links yeah. if we will. Um, but you know, on my Instagram, I share provocations all the time, you could find them on my highlights. And I break it down with a simple thinking routine that teachers can use to start their unit, start their lessons with so that at the heart of their lesson is a student's wonderment about the curriculum, a student's question about the curriculum. That's authentically the students and that's going to increase engagement, right? Like if students are actually wondering about the curriculum, they're going to be much more willing to dive into it and explore it. So provocations, that, that's a nitty gritty right away. That's something that, you know, with a little bit of reading, a little bit of planning, teachers can roll out a provocation in the classroom right away and not just the brick and mortar classroom, right? Like mm -hmm. now we're in this remote learning landscape yeah. and provocations can easily be shared digitally and and really be authentic to the students so that they have this sense of curiosity even though there's a physical distance between the teacher and the learner trevor i'm so glad you brought up the remote learning piece because obviously everyone is in that right now so what does inquiry-based learning look like in a remote space yeah, you know, you know, I, I guess I have to bring up, you know, a really trendy word in education right now is, is authenticity, or yeah. is it authentic and, and authenticity in this regard, it, for me, it's never been truer, right? Like, students are, are living and breathing learning at home, learning isn't something that they turn off when the bell goes to three o'clock, they go home and, and they're still learning. And in this remote learning landscape, Educators have such a rich opportunity to identify, well, what are you wondering about at home? What are you yeah. doing? What's what's of interest to you? And that is authentic, right? Like this is something that the, the learner is living and breathing. And so, you know, I really encourage teachers in this remote learning time. And, and I have to say it's tough. This is not easy. This is really, really challenging for lots of reasons. Mm -hmm. But I'm encouraging teachers I'm working with to, to survey families and survey students right away and, and survey them with, with a number of reasons in mind. One, to understand what learning can be done at home. Like, what does equity look like at home? Uh, how much screen time are parents comfortable with? You know, do they have a space that they could dedicate for a bit of learning time? And, and what works for the family, essentially? And then, you know, survey what parents what are you recognizing is of interest to your sons and daughters right now like what are they curious about what are they picking up what do they want to spend time doing and then the, in, the educators listening to all this information we're gathering and we plan from those means like what are we hearing that we can lean into and and i'm noticing it with my sons as i'm sure you are with your children yeah. like i'm seeing my sons really gravitate towards certain things that the teacher in me is like let's go there yeah. you know if you're really interested in that topic or that book or that audiobook let's lean into that as much as possible so you know this remote learning landscape it's really prioritizing you know uh some things in in my life as an educator but also my life as a as a parent and then when i when i pinpoint lean into the curiosities of my children and of the, the student and then plan from that space uh, i think the kids are really really engaged in that learning right because it, they're living and breathing it at home I want to pick up on one of the topics that you just referred to, which was the equity piece. I know during this remote learning, there's a lot of resources and things that are lacking for students at home. So what are some challenges that we may not be aware of and how can our aspiring leaders or our current leaders overcome these challenges? Yeah, that's a tough one. We, we don't know what we don't know, right? And that's not uh, me trying to wiggle my way out of the question. That's we need to ask and we need to survey and we need to talk with parents. And that, that takes time and energy 
in a time of crisis. Like this is, th- th- we shouldn't call this remote learning, right? We should call this crisis learning, let's yeah, be honest. Sure. And, and you know, to, to think that learning is, is the goal here. Well, we want to make sure our families are well, our families are comfortable. It's, a lot of our kids that we work with, they come to school to get away from home, right? And that's a sad reality. And then they're spending more time at home. And so, uh, you know, my heart goes out to those families and my heart goes out to those students. I suppose one thing we need to be aware of is, is well, asking, well, what is the home life like? Are there books at home? Is there access to your green space at home? Um, you know, are, are kids ready for learning? And that's essentially what we do in the brick and mortar, isn't it? Yep. Like, you know, you see colleagues standing at their classroom door greeting kids in the day. And it's not just a warm welcome. It's it's a little diagnostic, isn't it? It's yep. let's check in with kids and are they ready for learning? And it's the same thing in this remote learning landscape. Are they ready for learning? And, and the sad truth is many of our kids aren't because yeah. this is such a turbulent time. And so I think mental health, social, emotional well-being is, is at the forefront of this conversation. I think leaders uh, that I'm seeing do an amazing job are really preaching flexibility. Yeah. Let's present kind of some options, some choice to these families and just give them as much space and support as we can to have them do what they can. And, and I'm seeing that in my own school district. I love the messaging from our leadership here uh, as a parent. You know, there's so much choice for us as a family to lean into my kids' interests and kind of connect that to what the school is suggesting. Uh, you know, I think teachers who are assigning the workbooks or assigning the curriculum, you know, quote unquote, in this remote learning landscape, I think they're trying to do the right thing. I think they're feeling like, you know, the kids are missing school. So let me give the school or let me bring the learning to them. And, and I think, you know, I really, I really propose that we consider how overwhelming that could be for some of our kids to, to kind of have to do the workbooks and the worksheets with no support. And, you know, you know, I don't want to make a commentary on my thoughts on worksheets in the podcast, right? But like, you know, that's not a time just to dump our curriculum on the kids because they're not with us in their brick and mortar. This is a time to check up on them and see how they're doing. So I'm seeing leadership, strong leadership, preach flexibility, uh, preach compassion and, and talk about, hey, let's talk to parents and kids first before we plan learning with them and with, right? That's a key word, Very not so. for them. It's with them. No, I love that. I'm going to segue here. You are working on a third book, and it's on a topic that you've kind of mentioned throughout your answers, which is the student-centered assessment framework. So I'm just curious about what that new project is all about. Yeah, you know, in my work supporting schools, especially the ones that I visit long-term over, you know, three years, uh, I'm seeing this really beautiful thing happen where we get to, you know, a, a really authentic space of inquiry where students are reporting out that they're having a meaningful experience in school. It's engaging. Teachers are seeing those competencies, those skills sharpen that we're hoping students sharpen in their time with us. And then I got to be honest, kind of the last kind of domino to fall, the last 10% of this work, it's the assessment piece. And sadly, what I'm seeing is teachers are still holding assessment kind of too close to their chest and they're not empowering their students in the assessment process. And none of my books were, you know, an offering uh, in, until I heard what the audience needed, right? Until I heard what schools needed. Right. And this third book is really a response to what I'm seeing the schools that I'm working with, they, they, they really need. And, and so I'm certain other teachers need this too. How do you include much more rich, authentic student voice 
throughout learning in the assessment process so that you could share that deep understanding so that students become assessors of their learning. I think teachers would agree we, we're great assessors, right? Like yep. we know where a student is at, we know where they need to go to next and we know how they're going to get there. But can kids answer those questions for themselves? And my bet is they can't and there needs to be a partnership. There needs to be a co-designing of assessment. And that's what this, uh, this third book proposes. And, and all of my work really focuses on for lack of a better phrase, the nitty gritty, right? It's not the philosophical, it's not the theoretical, it's how do we bring this into practice at the implementation level? And and part of that's because I'm a practicing teacher and, and I'm sharing these things that are working with my students. And then the other piece is I wanna make it easy for implementation, right? I want teachers and schools that I work with to be able to take these frameworks and bring them into their classrooms. So that's that's the the push for this third book. It's exciting. I, I'm really keen to get it out there, and uh, I'm hoping that you know it is that final 10% that I'm seeing these schools need is that final assessment piece will really kind of flip the script, if you will, on student engagement and agency in those schools. No, I think it's such an important topic. I'm so glad you're writing about this because ownership for students is is such a huge um, topic and thing that you know, teachers struggle with. So I'm so excited to, to see what that book is. And I can't wait for it to come out because your first two books were fantastic. So for our listeners who want to learn more about uh, inquiry-based learning, I know you've got a webinar coming out with a collaboration with some other educators. I think it's called Inquiry by the Fire. Yeah, that's a great project. You know, Kath Murdoch's out of uh, Melbourne, Australia, and then Kimberly Mitchell's out of Seattle. And I'm, of course, from West Coast Canada. So in our work uh, supporting schools, we're kind of coming together because there's such a nice range of expertise. And and Kimberly is is kind of a higher ed voice. I'm more of a middle school, high school voice. And Kath is an elementary school voice. And so we came together early on because we, we were receiving so many questions about inquiry and remote learning that uh, our first offering was just a free webinar. You can find it at inquirybythefire.com. It's been seen by, gosh, like 4,000 people now, which is just crazy. It's only been out for a couple weeks. And then, you know, we, we surveyed, we asked the audience, you know, what do you need? What do you want? And so we're coming out with two more offerings that go live next week at inquirybythefire.com. One is a neat sync synchronous offering where teachers can come into Zoom with us and uh, talk with us. And we'll use the breakout function to use utilize you know that powerful collaborative skill and get teachers talking and then there'll be some resources that are curated out of all that work and then the other offering is an asynchronous offering where we'll do another pre-recorded webinar and we'll take it to twitter and instagram and, and utilize the slow chat feature and really what we're doing is we're just bringing teachers from around the world together who are interested in inquiry and remote learning and talking shop and having each other support one another so it's a fun collaboration i, I gotta tell you i'm really finding a lot of calm and peace come from collaboration at this time in remote learning. It's such a challenging time. You know, we're not able to walk into our schools and feel that that energy of being in a building packed with kids and colleagues that I'm finding. I'm really feeling confident in leaning on my friends. And, and this is one of those opportunities where I'm leaning on a couple of friends. So if you're listening, I encourage you to check that out, inquirybythefire.com and join the conversation, please. Yeah, during this distance learning time, a lot of folks are tapping into the webinars and trying to know have their pd time taken through online training so i know there's another one too you've got going on inquiry educators summit i believe it's called ties yeah that's right this is a great organization out of uh out of india actually of all places you know at, at first as you as you are experiencing you just must be you know up to your eyeballs and work right now right yes. like as a parent and then work and and this is one of those requests that came across my email and i said oh do i have time for this and then the more i looked into it, i said 
oh, I got to be a part of this. Like, please let me be a part of this. And partly because the other educators that are involved are just people I've looked up to for so many years. You know, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling of being at a party and you're looking around at all the cool kids and you're like, what am I doing here? I don't belong here. <laughs> and so I'm really excited to be a part of an event where so many amazing speakers, Joe Bowler's there. And I, I just love Joe Bowler's work. And so they brought in seven keynoters. I, I'm one of the keynotes and, and, you know, doing a virtual keynote is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And, you know, throughout this remote learning landscape, I'm learning a lot about, you know, uh, engaging in the virtual realm. So that will be another keynote that I'm doing in this time. And, and I encourage people that, to join, it's free and that that's the killer part is yeah. you have this amazing panel you have all these workshops and it's entirely free so check it out it's sure to be gangbusters and that's coming up may 16 17 18 trevor i always like asking my guests of our aspiring leaders if they don't have a leadership position currently but they're looking to you know make an immediate impact what would be some advice that you would provide them Oh, share your voice, you know, and, and Twitter has been an unbelievable accelerator of my collaboration and, and a, a space for me to share voice. But I mean, it, it doesn't have to be Twitter. To be honest, before I joined Twitter, you know, talking at the staff room photocopy machine, you know, having lunch with a colleague. And, and I know we can't do that now because we're not in the brick and mortar, but like reach out and have faith that your ideas matter and, and just share your voice. And so uh, and if you're not on social media, join get on that's that's been a great accelerator in my practice i think that's a as i mentioned earlier on in our chat you know i think teachers naturally are are humble in our dna aren't we and uh this this kind of uh what what i have to do or what i'm doing in my classroom isn't worthwhile uh, and sharing and uh george kuros actually said it best you know it's it's our responsibility to share you know and we're almost doing each other a disservice if we're not talking so uh have faith i want to hear your voice i want to hear what you're saying i want to hear what you're doing i want to hear how you're feeling and uh you know, please use your voice. Trevor, I think that's a great point. And I'm curious as far as your own journey, when did you find your own voice to feel like you have something that's worth sharing to others? Yeah, it, it took great leadership, right? It took uh, a principal or principals to uh, lean into me a bit and provide opportunities to say, hey, what do you think of this? And slowly, you know, you started taking steps into directions that you never would have anticipated. I remember one principal, you know, he, I was in the staff room one day grabbing a cup of coffee and he came up to me and said, hey, you know, what if I got you an iPad? Would you be interested in, in exploring how an iPad could be used in the classroom? And I said, yeah, I, I'd try that on for size. And within a month, I had a class set of iPads. And this was back in the day, first gen iPad, figure it out, Mr. McKenzie, what, how can you use this? And I, I'm just so thankful that, you know, we have kind of forward thinking leadership uh, that leans into taking risks and celebrates that. So, you know, I never will, would be doing the work that I'm doing now without the support of those leaders. And, and I'm sure to say, thank them. Like I send those emails, I send those tweets. I sat down for coffee with just that principal who gifted me that first iPad about a month and a half ago. And, and part of that conversation was to say, thanks for believing in me. And, and that's what you do when you have a kind of a leaning into risk culture, isn't it? Is that, People are just so thankful that you you took the time to believe in them. And that's going to impact kids at the end of the day. You know, we need our kids to be in front of innovative teachers who are trying new things. And innovation doesn't necessarily mean technology. Yep. Innovation to me means lifelong learning. Like, let's be honest here. We just need teachers in front of kids who are constantly tinkering with their practice and don't feel like they have it all sorted out. And I think a big factor in making that the case, it's uh, strong leadership. So Trevor, I know you mentioned you're on Twitter, you're on Instagram. So how can our listeners connect with you on social media? 
Yeah, so Twitter, really active, at Trev underscore McKenzie, and McKenzie's M-A-C. My Instagram is at TNT McKenzie. And then my website, trevmckenzie.com, full of podcasts. I'll post this podcast there, blogs, uh, and then a whole bunch of free resources, whether they're sketch notes, articles, teacher resources. Definitely go there and find that work. And, and uh, it, it is all free. So download as much as you'd like. Definitely connect with Trevor. He is a wealth of resources. He's phenomenal on social media too. So uh, make sure you are following him on both Twitter and Instagram and check out his website. Trevor, I just want to thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for for having me and listeners. Thanks for chiming in and, and joining us today. Appreciate it.